The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. Can I ask you, Adam, one of the things you said in the the Diabetes UK interview that you did or article that you did was when he was diagnosed, it was heartbreaking, which from my perspective, it's heartbreaking to read. What do you feel has been the hardest part? I know there's a lot of it that is incredibly difficult, but if, is there one part that you really feel is the most difficult? Apart from obviously the, the treating him every day, Owen, as I said before, you know, you know, his life is in our hands every day. Another part as well is point me, my understanding of diabetes. Let's go back to November last year before he was diagnosed and I had no understanding of it. And it's that bit now, it's the uh, so much misconception and misunderstanding that people have because over here it, it's bundled together as one. And people think... Uh, if I had one pound every time somebody said to me, and it, ha- it happens every week, it'll get better with time. I'm like, no, it won't get better with time. <laughs> <laughs> it really won't. Yeah. And then I tried to, I tried to talk to people about, about it. I had a conversation with somebody today in work and, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, what's getting better is like, say, for example, the carb counting and, you know, you know, complete confidence now, give giving the injections, but the following day, you know, as I mentioned before, with a, with a ham and cheese sandwich, you know, example, it could be completely different. It could it could be it could be completely different. So, the heartbreaking part was, it's you went through it yourself, Owen. You know, you know, when you first diagnosed, it just turns your life upside down, and it turns it would have turned your parents' life upside down as well. And it's like this is this is very serious. This is really really serious, and we are in such a lucky period now, though, where we do have this technology. It's come at such, I, I could not imagine how people 15, 20 years ago dealt with it by having to finger prick all the time, you know, with with the with the devices like e-librazine, Dexcom, it's come so far and who knows where we're going to be in another five or 10 years time. You know, it's, it, you know, there's that much research and funding going on at the moment that it, hopefully one day we get to a stage where you don't need to carb count and it'll just automatically notice your blood sugar levels in your in your body um bit you mentioned before actually just just made me laugh as well about you know i i i'm not worried now because you know as i said before his life's in our hands myself and his mum we, we we control his levels every day it's when he turns into a teenager 
you know, and, you know, for anybody listening here today, you know, who, who doesn't know Kevin and Perry, just go in YouTube. I'm just imagining that morning he comes down the stairs. Morning, Jacob. He's like, Dad, I'm just going to have a biscuit and a chocolate bar. No, you're not. Well, I don't care about diabetes. I'm like, Jacob, you need to. That 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 is my that is my worry. And the times when he's 18 years old and he wants to go on a on a boys' holiday away, it's like, you you know, you, you need to be sensible. But you know, I appreciate the words you said before. I think he's at the age now where we're educating him that when he does become a teenager, you know, he he'll understand the importance of it. And he does need to know the severity of it as well. And that was very hard actually in the hospital when, you know, the doctors were in and they were talking to us. And that, they must do it on purpose by by keeping the child in the room. So they kept Jacob in his room and he was listening to what the doctors were telling us on how severe it can be. Because that, you know, he still remembers. He, he doesn't forget that. So, you know, when, you know, when he gets older, as long as, you know, we keep him grounded and, you know, um, understanding, as I said before, the importance of it he should be okay. But it's, it's those teenage years, Owen. When, when, when I lose the power and the control, that's that's the worry. That's my biggest worry in the future. It, re- it really is. I'm not too sure how your dad felt as well at the same time, but for me, that, that's, that's my biggest fear <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And that's a valid fear to have because, like, again, d- even despite diabetes, I would imagine most parents are slightly more <laughs> concerned of the teenage years than any other years. But again, from from my perspective and to hopefully reassure you, I think the year I was diagnosed, I went to, I think it was the year, I went to Canada for three months on like a, a J1 kind of work wow. travel visa. And again, I feel I was I was lucky at that point because I wasn't fully mature. I probably still am it now, <laughs> but... I was old enough to realize the severity of it. And I was old enough to realize that, you know, this is something that needs to be taken care of. And again, the conversation that we've had already up to this point, Adam, it's quite clear that that is being reinforced to Jacob quite frequently. So by the time he gets to a teenager, it'll just be what he does. That's what my gut will be telling me. So try not to have that thought worry you too much all right <laughs> obviously adam like this is something that makes you stressed makes you uncertain makes you overwhelmed from time to time is that something that you try and consciously hide from jacob if and when you're feeling that way i do absolutely you know so there's there's obviously the few days in the week when you know he stays over his mum's house and you know that's the time where I can sort of show my grief, so to speak, you know, that, you know, my, my worries and anxiety then can come, can come out. And then when he's, when he's with me, you know, it is just, it's just trying to live that life as normal, Owen. It really is. But there's, there is sometimes where it, it does get on top of you. And, you know, if he gets that frustration, say I keep going over food or I'm saying, no, you can't go out now because we need to do this. And he gets upset and that'll naturally get me upset as well. But what what I'm trying to do more recently is when I'm picking up from school, the first thing I'm trying not to do anymore is talk about diabetes. Normally it'd be like, oh, you've had a good day today, Jacob. You've had no hypos today, you know, or did you have any snacks in school today? I try not to talk about it because I, I don't want him thinking the first thing which, you know, we're trying to talk about is diabetes. So even, even just if, if I'm on a, sat- on a Saturday or a Sunday or a weekend, I'll try and I'll just, I'll try not to lead a conversation about diabetes. 
you know, even though it's there, it's at, it's at the back of my back of my mind. I'm like, he's a nine year old kid. He doesn't want to know about it. You know, he he he, re- he really doesn't. So, yeah, it's 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 again that's the support I've had from the hospital. The, the way I come across to him has changed massively. You know, I I I won't. I don't go on about it constantly with him. The only the only times I do mention it is obviously when I'm asking him what he wants for his dinner or for breakfast, and if he has a hypo or a hyper, you know, that, look, we need to manage it. Manage it. We need to do this. Apart from that, you know, you know, like for example, listen to your podcast. I won't do that. Don't take offence when Jacob's here, you know, because he'll be saying, "Daddy, why are you listen?" To-? He'll be like, "Why are you listen to a podcast about diabetes?" I'm like, "Fine." So I I respect that, and I, oh, you know, I will, you know. I've gone from living it every single day, even when he's with me, to now still living it, but making sure I do it when he's not with me, if that makes sense. So it's almost as if when he's not around, it's like I need to try and pack in as much information as possible so I'm better prepared for each next time. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. <laughs> <You're a legend. laughs> Thank you. And and again, you know, a reason I, re- I reached out to you, to yourself is the there is a huge, especially what I'm seeing over here, over here in the UK, there's, there's a big gap of a lack of support for parents and carers. The, the, the re the really is when I've spoken to, I see even at your likes of diabetes UK and JDRF, which are, are absolutely fantastic. It's, it's like, well, look, go on our forums or, you know, um, you know, go on Facebook, but some people might not have Facebook and it's, it's trying to, I'd love to just try to get something in place you know this network and contacts around the country where parents can just speak, um, and that is something that that that's why I've been trying to do a lot of work with Diabetes UK over. You know, so that's why I did my my interview with them, and you know, I've I've had a few more meetings with them. That there seems to be a lack of support for parents and carers. For as I said earlier on, to rather than going into the hospital and having all this medical jargon, HBA one C, etc., all this jargon, actually just being able to talk to a parent. Or I say, or a care of like, it's bloody hard, this, isn't it? This is always like, you know, he had a cr- he had a crumper with some jam on. He's had a hypo, and yesterday he was fine. What? Why is that? Just being able to release it, Owen. Um, and I think that's what needs improving over here. Uh, you know, I, I know, I know the hospitals are under massive pressure anyway. The NHS is, but it's something in the future that there needs to be more of a network for parents and carers, and that's why it's it's great being on here. You know, and if, if this can help at least one parent, then, you know, or they can relate to this, then, you know, job done. I'll be, I'll be happy. Owen. Hmm. Well, it definitely will. I can, I, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny as well, because, well, not funny, but for lack of a better term, a word that I have used in the past and the word that quite frequently seems to kind of echo through the diabetes world and a word that you used it's yourself in the Diabetes UK um, article that you did or interview was isolation or feeling isolated. And I think you, you can often forget that as somebody living with diabetes, that, that sense of, yes, of course, I feel isolated from time to time, but maybe the people around me who are closest to me also feel isolated because they're thinking about it maybe as much as me, but just in a different way, but don't have an outlet or an environment where they can express what they're actually feeling. Because the reality of it is the vast majority of the time, your friends 
and your family don't have diabetes or aren't related to diabetes as intensely as we are. So of course, parents are going to feel isolated. So you touched on that sense of community or environment or a place to actually just chat to people. What do you feel, Adam, you, you actually need as a parent? Or what do you feel in general parents of children of type 1 diabetics need or would benefit from most? I think for the parents, it's, you know, you touched on it before, you know, it's wonderful having, you know, family and I've got a real good network of friends, but none of us or none of them know people who are type 1 diabetic within their family or, you know, I've got no friends who are type 1 diabetic. So it's that understanding. It's that being able to have that outlet to to bounce off somebody, Owen, who understands. You know, I mentioned before about going camping, you know, or, you know, I'm very reluctant at the moment and I shouldn't be about taking, taking them abroad on holiday. You know, by actually being able to have a conversation with somebody saying, well, how do you do it? If you went to an all-inclusive hotel, what do you do? How do you manage it on a daily basis? All of that, it's, you know, in the, there's some great forums out there. And I say that the times that they've had like a um, sessions in the hospital and parents have come down, it's been great because you can just see there is, it's wonderful by having all these parents in a room. And again, I keep going back to, I'm repeating myself, but, you know, we, we take, we go away from the medical jargon and we just go, we talk like this now, you know, on a day-to-day basis or knocking ideas around or past experiences around and the times I have met with other parents, I say in the hospital setting, I've come away thinking, actually, you know what? That's a really good idea. Or well, I'm over worrying about that too much. You know, if I, you know, if I give them too many carbs by accident, it's okay. I can give them a correction. Where in the past, I'd be like, oh, what have I done? Oh no, what am I going to do? Stuff like that, Owen, which is, which I, I mm. the times it's happened, I, I found it really helpful. Mm. Is there anything, Adam, I can help with? Is there any questions that you might have for me as somebody who has obviously lived with diabetes for a long time and has spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of diabetics over the years? Is there anything you were coming on here today thinking, I'd, I'd love to ask on that, or I'd love to get Owen's opinion on that thing? Any, anything I can help with? Right, let me get my list out, Owen, so just bear. <laughs> take Actually, so like... I'll take a scroll. It's more than a scroll. It's like the Magna Carta. This is so here we go. Here we go. So I, actually, you know, so perfect example from. Well, I tell you, I'll, I'll ask you for a bit of advice over this one. So yesterday, he had his sports day in school, and made sure he started in the morning, and he was he was quite high. Did his sports day, had his lunch. You know, I, I think they, they they probably reduced twenty five percent off his. Um, his insulin over lunch to keep him quite high. And then last night was just horrific. It was low after low. He had about four hypos in about two hours. And you're scratching your head and you're wondering, why? Why is that? It's a hard question to answer. I don't know if you know why. You might just say to me, what's diabetes? But you think, Mm. you know, what have I done wrong? So, you know, from very early in the morning, he was great levels. He has been active that morning. But then actually towards the evening time, you know, 10 hours later, he then just crashes, 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 crashes. What type of exercise was he doing, Adam? Was it kind of like essentially like full body running, high intensity he did. Type, of, type of things? Yeah, it, okay. it, it was, yeah, it was, he did running and he did, he did the javelin as well. Okay, very good. 
I'd, I'd love to be doing a javelin at nine years old. Uh, I'd end up hitting a, te- hitting a teacher or something by accident. Um, so not overly surprised, right? This isn't going to be like a, an absolutely precise, accurate answer. But my gut would be telling me you're seeing that massive increase in insulin sensitivity later in the day because of the exercise that had been done that day. And the impression that I get is because it was like a sports day, there was more exercise done over maybe a longer period of time and different intensities like javelin, high intensity sprints, running, jumping, all these types of things that maybe isn't the ordinary type of exercise that Jacob would be doing on a daily basis. So I'm in no way surprised that later that evening, the insulin sen- your Jacob's insulin sensitivity had ultimately increased because of the exercise. So with, with exercise itself, and this is the way I always like to <clears throat> like to view it, right? And again, we're not going to go into scientific jargon here. We're going to keep it as simple as possible because <laughs> the simpler things are, the easier things are to even just picture or comprehend and understand. So the way I always look at it is, in its simplest, simplest form. The more exercise I do, the less insulin I need. The less exercise I do, the more insulin I need, generally. So I find that if I am moving much more than normal, if I am training much more intensely than normal, I need to be aware of how my blood's going to behave over the next even 24, 36 hours. Because if I'm doing something way outside of my normal routine, I almost anticipate something outside of my normal blood sugar routine in the sense that if I'm doing something exercise-wise that's really different, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, I'm almost preempting the fact that my blood sugar is probably going to behave in a way that I'm not quite used to, or maybe not as not expecting as much. So what I would do in a scenario like that, and again, I can't tell you what to do with Jacob, but from my experience, what I would do, if I have like a really intense extended exercise session, for example, like a sports day, over the next 12, maybe even 24 hours, I'm going to probably pull my insulin back by about at least 30% each time I eat. That's what I would do because I know that because I've done this exercise, my bloods are a lot more inclined to just trend lower naturally because again, a really simplified way to look at it and to, to kind of picture it is when we are consistently moving or when we increase exercise massively, it's almost as if it's a natural basal insulin increase because our body is just using up excess glucose essentially more efficiently because we have been so much more active. So because of the movement, I don't require as much insulin. Again, that's in its simplest, simplest form. But what I would be doing, again, just to, just to highlight and to reiterate, 
I'd be really mindful of overnight blood sugars, particularly following a, a daytime exercise activity like that. Yeah. And I would almost be happier and more confident and more comfortable going to bed, you know, risking being slightly on the higher end than risking being on the lower end because yeah, it's better to sleep higher than risk going too low too frequently. So in that instance, you could potentially say, look, let's have 10, 15, 20 grams of carbohydrate without insulin near enough to bedtime so that we're reducing the chances of those hypos. Does that make sense? It does, Owen. I'm making notes. So yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, Adam, I can go down a rabbit hole with these kinds of things. <laughs> actually, um, so yeah, one more question, if you don't mind. So this is something I was actually speaking about last night. After a hypo, and again, I see information at differently, information we've been provided and information in forums on the NHS website. So after after he's had a hypo, regarding him then walking around or going running again, I'm seeing different numbers knocked around regarding MMOL. I'm seeing he needs to be up to 5.6 MMOL, or I'm seeing he just needs to be above 4 MMOL after he's been treated with, with, with his sugars. I don't know what you recommend is the best minimum level to get up to before you then resume your you know, your activities, whatever you're doing, whether you're walking or, or you're doing exercise. So just so, just so I'm clear, basically it's, you're, you're saying Jacob's had a hypo, you want to treat the hypo and then essentially how long before we exercise or how high should I go up to before exercising again? How, how high are we? Yeah. So, so whether that's exercise, yeah. like I say, just you know, if we go walking around Liverpool city center at what level, you know, I'm seeing different numbers from you go to 5.6 or cause at the end of the day, once he goes above 3.9 above theoretically he's out of a hypo then. So should you be waking, waiting for it to get even higher um, or not? Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's essentially what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. And for me, Adam, it would depend on how low the hypo was how near the exercise is to that time like is it do i want to go moving in five minutes is it 10 minutes is it 30 minutes is it 60 minutes and then ultimately what is the exercise what is the movement itself like when i the way i look at hypos are with any hypo the absolute priority is to get your blood sugar up that is just the absolute priority but for me the next priority is avoiding that there's Avoiding that rebound high because it's very frustrating, to say the least. And I don't view all hypos as equal because, as you say, like 3.9, 3.8, technically yeah. you're in a hypo state, but yeah. you may not require like the recommended 15 grams because 15 grams of carbohydrate could put you sky high. Yeah. Whereas if I'm crashing down to 1.5, I probably want to get more than 15 grams in quite quickly so for me the first thing i would pay attention to is the hypo itself like am i kind of just dipping or am i crashing because the treatment of those can be different for me now again similar to what i was saying about the overnight blood sugar atom what i found and i was actually speaking speaking to one of my doctors about this before this 
phenomenon basically called hypo memory, where if you have one hypo, you're a lot more inclined to have another one easier than if you didn't have one in the first place. So if I have a hypo and I am exercising or I am moving in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I've just had a hypo. I do want to do this exercise. I do want to do this movement, but because I've had a hypo, I may be more inclined to have another one. So for me, again, like the overnights, I would be saying to myself, I'm probably going to be slightly more generous with my hypo treatment, (laughs) just going into this exercise so that I'm reducing the likelihood of my blood sugar going low with the exercise. And that can be completely subjective in terms of, again, like I said, what the exercise actually is. But if I was just going for a stroll, like, as you say, if I was walking around Liverpool or if I was walking around anywhere, just casually, if it was a quote unquote normal hypo, for me, what I'd do is I'd have four glucose tablets and probably something like a rice cake or a cereal bar. That's like another 10, 15-ish grams of carbohydrate. So essentially, I'm getting that that quick fix of glucose with the glucose tablets to bring me up. And then the logic behind having something like a rice cake or a biscuit or a cereal bar is it acts to kind of hold your blood sugar that bit more stable throughout the exercise. So it's difficult to, I know this is a very long-winded answer, but, and I know no, this no, is your podcast. I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm hijacking this thing. <laughs> no, but no, not at all. For, for me, it's, it's about looking at how long am I going to be moving? Like yeah. 10, 15 grams, cereal bar, rice cake, uh, biscuit or something will probably hold me quite stable. That's how I would do it. I'd have a mix of really fast acting glucose tablets, glucose drinks, etc., And then again, rice cake, biscuit, cereal bar, whatever it might be. That's generally how I would approach that type of thing. Again, I can go down rabbit holes with <laughs> these types of things, but that's what comes to mind. All right. But I mean, that's, you know, so for me, that's, I'm sure people listening to this as well, just find incredibly helpful and that's the fantastic work you do it really is you know from your social medias to your you know to your podcast because stuff like that that makes sense the other night he played football he he had about three hypos during football i was giving him his you know his sweets or his lucasade but he kept crashing every 15 20 minutes Mm. and actually yeah if i had to give him you know more of a slow releasing you know uh, say a rice cake or a biscuit he probably wouldn't have just then kept crashing so even the you know, hearing this off you now, that's goes back to what I said before about having that sort of community out there of people who, who are going through it, you know, whether it's people like yourself or it's parents or carers just to gain that information and advice. So thank you, Owen. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and look, we'll, we'll be in touch after this anyway. So any, any questions that you have, let me know. Um, but look, do. back to you. I don't like speaking too much on these, podca- on these podcasts. Right. <laughs> Is there anything, Adam, that you feel you've noticed or you've learned about Jacob since he was diagnosed that you feel you wouldn't have if he was never diagnosed? Yeah. um, Resilience 
and bravery. That's what I've noticed from the first night and he had his own room in the hospital. It was the first or the second night and, you know, very overwhelming seeing all these needles. Obviously, you know, when you're administering your insulin and he wanted to do it straight away and I was took aback. I was like, even though it's so wrong, you, you never want to see your child doing that, do you? You know, you know, I say, your, you know, your parents would have done the same. Actually, from t- to try to take control, that made me so proud of him, you know, through that, you know, you know, that's his bravery and it is re- his resilience every day. And, you know, as, you know, as we said, you know, like you know, Jacob, like other, other children, they, they, they learn the bodies and he is, we, we have most days he is very, very sensible and he is not trying to rebel at all. And it's basically for a child, he's learned to fo- follow rules, which as we know, children don't like following rules and tell him, you know, <laughs> following, you know, being told what to do by the parents, but he has done and he understands why Owen. So yes, incredibly proud of him. Re, re, really am, but his, his resilience and bravery has absolutely shone through the, night, the last nine months. It's a very unique condition, I feel, in the sense that you don't really have any other option but to be resilient because, as you said yourself, Adam, it's it's a relentless thing. It's all day, every day. You don't get a break. You don't get weekends. You don't get holidays. And that resilience is something that you can absolutely work on consciously, but also... In Jacob's case, it's almost just, it's just bang, jumping straight in here. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Every day there's, there's still that frustration. Of, of course, of course it is, you know, when, when he has a hypo, but he, he understands how to treat himself now as well. You know, he, he can go to the cupboards to go get a juice out the fridge or, or go get his, they say his 10, 15 grams of, of sweets. So actually in a way that makes my job easier as well now as well and that's that's just him you know he's adapting and he's he's shown his resilience so yeah yeah so proud of him Owen is there any advice Adam you'd have for other parents out there who maybe have been in this world for five years ten years maybe even two weeks from your experience up to this point what comes to mind that you feel would be most beneficial to them Try not to take your frustration out on your child. Even, you know, you might be slow, so sleep deprived, you know, try not to, if, if you, when you get stressed, try not to show that stress because your child will get stressed. That's one bit of advice. And also seek out people who are either type one diabetic like yourself, Owen, or other parents or carers of children who've got, type 1 diabetes it's hard to find as i as i said earlier on but try and find a community out there it's really really try and find that if not it's a very lonely place it's a very lonely place but five minutes to even having this you know this time with you now just makes me feel so much better by actually being able to share stories really really does and i and i know there's introverted people out there and there's introverted parents who might not want to share their struggles but please do please please try and find somebody because that has just made my life so much easier over the last nine months it really has Mm. this is a a a flip of the script 
Adam, in terms of the, the perspectives. But if you were to speak to a diabetic child now who maybe is struggling with it and is potentially having some conflict with their parents around their management, what would you say to them? I won't swear, Owen, because I, I try not to swear to my <laughs> child as well. But occasionally I say to Jacob, you can say the S word, Jacob, you know, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd say to the, you know, the, 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 ch- the child, look, you know, this is crap. It's rubbish, you know, but again, there's people, people's perceptions out there saying you need to live a healthy diet. You, you can't have your junk anymore. Well, no, of course you can have your junk, but you need to be sensible about it. That's what I'd say. To, that's what I'd say to, to to kids. It's like, look, you can live a normal life. It's just a little bit different on a daily basis, especially around your you intake of food and doing your activities. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It just requires some additional planning. That's the way I like to look at it. You can you can do what you want. You can live how you want to live. You just need to plan a bit more in advance. That's the that's the frame I like to use. Yeah, Adam, I know this may be a an interesting question to answer because you are so brand new to it. And as you've said, admittedly, and even multiple times throughout this, this podcast, which I've appreciated how difficult it is. But if you had to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? <sighs> If I had to thank diabetes for something, wow, what a, what a question. Um, if, you, if you don't want to thank it for anything, you don't have to. <laughs> there's, there's no right or wrong. I don't, I don't know if I can thank, thank you for, for anything, Owen. It's, it has almost become that enemy, really. Um, it's, ma- it's made us a bit more organized, as you said, with planning. But then again, I'm, I've always been a bit of an organized person, to, uh, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I struggle to answer that because at the, mo- at the moment, I think it's, you, you touched on before, you know, it's probably still so raw at the moment. You know, it's, I, I, you know, I still get so angry over it. You know, you know, why, why, why Jacob? Why has that happened to him? You know, you know, you know, was having to make all those decisions and having that frustration on a, on a daily basis. Um, so at the moment there's, there's not much positive that I've come out of it. What, what I am thankful for is, is your companies like your Dexcom and your companies like your Libra and you know what the NHS over here as well, who, who get a lot of bad press, they've been absolutely phenomenal, you know? So, you know, I thank people like that because we, without having specialist teams out there, we would really struggle. Well, that's not really thanking diabetes. That's mm. thanking people who offer that support for diabetes. So, yes, at, at, the, at the moment, Owen, I can't thank you for anything, if I'm being honest. I appreciate your honesty. It's a, yeah. a question that we get very mixed answers to. <laughs> but what I'd say to Jacob, if he ever listens to this at any stage, everything your dad does, everything he's trying to do is for your health for you so you're healthy happy energetic energetic and your dad jacob is a legend right putting it simply (laughs) okay (laughs) adam i've really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much for coming on just a, a completely different perspective that is fascinating to hear about and just um 
kind of opens your eyes to the other people around you that are affected when you have type one. So I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Owen. And as I said before, just keep up the fantastic the fantastic work and your podcasts of of getting the word out there because there there's not enough out there. And you know that's why I came across yourself. And you know, listening to some of your podcasts has been it's been fantastic. So no, thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. As I said, we'll be in touch. Any more questions? Let me know. All right, <laughs> Adam, take care of yourself. Send Jacob my warm regards. And uh, maybe at some stage, we'll link up. All right. Take care of yourself and I'll chat to you soon. Thank you, Owen. Cheers. Thank you. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe and share. It really, really helps the podcast Get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier and happier within my type 1% better online program. You can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.